So, so I shared this little story. You know, when we look at Christmas and we look at the word expectation and how we all have these certain expectations in our life, whether it's presents or, or events or whatever, relationships and so on, there was this couple and they had these three beautiful small children and man, they're, they're just a blessed family. Things are going great in their lives and so on. And all was, you know, they're opening presents that morning. It's Christmas morning, Santa Claus visit, everything's great. And the little kids are just tearing up box after box, opening present after present. Dad, he's got presents in front of him. He's opening presents after presents. And all of a sudden, Mom looks and she notices the kids are having fun and, and, and they're enjoying the boxes more than they are the toys and the presents. You know, that's how kids are. And she knows her husband's just checking sweaters out, checking things. Ooh, this is nice. And all of a sudden, she knows she didn't have any boxes to open. That'll mess with your expectation. And all of a sudden, she looks at her husband and flips her hair, it's only she can do, and says, sir, uh, yes, honey, uh, all I can say is, by tomorrow morning, I better have a present sitting out in the driveway for me that goes zero to 200. That's all I'm saying. He's like, okay. So his mind, like most men, is going zero to 200. Oh, God. So the next morning she wakes up, sure enough, there's this beautifully wrapped present sitting in the driveway. And she's like, well, that's not what I was expecting, but it could have the keys to what I was expecting in it. You know what I'm saying? So she runs out, she's excited, and kids, come, come, see what mommy got, what mommy got. And she starts ripping it open, this present, and it's a scale. <laughs> a scale that goes from zero to 200. <laughs> How many of you know that that was a letdown for her expectations? Anybody believe that this morning? And, you know, that's the way life is a lot of times. When we look at expectation, we look at what we treasure up in our heart. We look at what we treasure up in our mind. And as we look at expectation and we think about it and we even think about our Christmas expectation and the reason for the season and all the family that comes and all the things that takes place, we also realize that we go through things in our own life where our expectation is set at such a high level. We have an expectancy for the relationships, maybe who you're dating or who you want to date or who you're married to. We have an expectation for our family and the kind of family we want to have. We have an expectation, certain expectation for our careers or our education, our church, ministry, religion, we, our health, our appearance, all these things, we have this certain anticipation, this certain expectation. And, and that didn't just come from the by and by, that didn't just come from some vacuum somewhere. Where did expectation came from? Expectation comes from God. Expectation is the same, is defined also as hope. And hope and expectation are our brothers, their sisters, and God gave us this expectation from the time we were created, from the time we were born, this expectation and anticipation and, and hope that we don't totally understand it, but it just gets going inside of us, and, and man, we got to have it. And, and, and whenever we begin to think about this hope and this expectation, where does it come from? Well, the scriptures tell us, Miss Gwen in Hebrews 11:1. 1, now faith is a substance of things what? Hope for, expected, right? Faith is a substance of things hoped for or expected. Hope for, not seen. Right. Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of what things not 
sing. God put this hope in us. It's a value that we have that maybe we don't even understand it and we don't realize what it is. But did you realize that that we can be so let down by people we love? We can be in relationships and be let down and have an expectancy for a friendship and get betrayed or get lied upon or something happened and, and all of a sudden we, we begin to lose hope and then we get in another relationship and maybe it's another friendship and it goes south and we get in another relationship and it can be a dating relationship. It can even be your marriage or it can just be family and, and, and you're in your relationship with your family and something happens here with your family and something happens there with your family and it just doesn't kind of pan out the way you thought your family would be and especially as families go through and parents pass away and siblings all change and events and you know priorities change and it seems like families especially during the holidays are just not together like they once were and you had this certain expectation for those relationships you had this expectation of when you're a kid and then you're a teenager and a young adult and adult and so on and you have this level of expectation and, and what happens is when we have this expectation expectation is the breeding ground for miracles but also expectation is the breeding ground for disappointment. Because I can't have great disappointment unless I had great expectation. You see, it's the opposite. And what we've got to realize in life, as we have this anticipation, as we have this hope, as we have this encouragement, as we have this expectation, every one of us value expectation at different levels. So we all have these values, whether it's a value of hope or expectation, a value of love or trust or the value of family. So we all have these values and, and, and it's important to have values and each value has a certain expectancy attached to it. Now, when we look at that expectancy that's attached to our values, we got to also realize that our values have certain triggers to them. So if I have the value of love, and I hope you do, I have the value of love, that's a good one to have. And man, when you feel love, how, what is your value of love? Well, your value of love is how you receive love and how you give love, right? But see, no one can determine if your expectancy in love was met. So if I choose to love someone, whether it's in a marriage, relationship, dating, friendship, family, whatever, co-worker, we choose to have a relationship of love and I have to determine in my heart how I love. It's not that I will determine, it's I gotta be truthful because a lot of times if I just said, you know, uh, what's your value, how do, how do you value love? Carlton, give me your definition. If you know you're loved when this happens, when someone does this for you. And I know that they sacrifice something that they would rather do. They'd sacrifice something they'd rather do. They'd spend time with you, right? So, so how would you value love? One of the values, if someone loved you, you say, man, I know they love me because. Uh, <laughs> Here, look at mom. <laughs> you're a junior in college. You can handle it. Um, they put me before they put themselves. They put me before they put themselves. And that's good. Okay, now, now, Carlton, what would be, Charlton, I did their wedding. I know their name. I got so, so, Charlton, so, so how would you, so your love is like if they sacrifice something, time or something, and they give it for me, right? 
So now that's how you re- one of the ways you receive love. We do it more than one way. Now that's a value. So now how do you give love? By sacrificing things that I would like to do to make them happy. All right. By sacrificing things yourself and your time. So how, how do you give love? Uh, <laughs> by sacrificing things. <laughs> by sacrificing you copycat. That's a C minus, but I love you. So, so, so we all have what? Rules of the way we give and receive love. Now, now here's what I want you to understand when you're dealing with expectation, when you're dealing with Christmas, when you're dealing with your life and everything, that whenever I have these rules, or we call them behaviors, and they are actually triggers. Now, a lot of times we say these certain rules we have to be loved, like what my rule to be loved was always like, uh, I want to receive love like this. I want to be loved just as I am, not as you think I should be. And I want to love people just as they are, not as I think they should be. That's a good rule to have, right? And, and, and that's cool. And we all have these rules. That's how we see and value that particular value. But I want to ask you something for like Charlton, for instance, does that rule always work for you? Because are there times that people don't sacrifice and do things that you would expect them to do, but you felt that they loved you? Yes, sir. What does that do with your expectancy in that relationship? It drives it down, but then I have to rely on God to bring it back up. Rely on God to bring it back up. So we all have these values and expectancy, but here's the thing, and I'm going to show you from the life of Mary how this works. We have these certain rules, which are behaviors, and if those rules are not met, we feel differently. We, we, we feel let down, or we feel discouraged, or we feel betrayed, or we feel what? Not loved. Maybe you like us, but you don't love me. And see, expectancy has to do with the values you hold, whether it's love, hope, joy, peace, whatever it be, forgiveness. And every one of us, we walk in these, but what I want you to realize, here's the tension of expectation. How can I live a life of happiness and joy if I'm not living in expectation, but rather I'm living in disappointment? And listen to me. Anytime you put your love, your joy, your happiness in the hands of another person or an event, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. What if you could never fail? Yeah, God's love never fails. You see, we have similar values as God, right? That's how we were raised. What? We're supposed to love people. We're supposed to be kind. We're supposed to be generous. We're supposed to be patient, right? All those things. But God's rules for love may be different than our rules for love. His rules for love is not... I'll love you, I know you love me if you sacrifice time and give me time, or I can show you my love by sacrificing things I like to do to show you love. But God's rules and behaviors are different than ours, and thank goodness, right? Because what did he do? God, to show his love for his son and his love for us, what did he do? He sent his son to die. He loved us that much. Now, that's a strong core value. 
And love to God obviously has a greater meaning than what it does to us as humans, even though we try and we do our best. And what I want you to realize today is as you dive into who you are, and if you're going to have a, an amazing year in 2019, and you're going to move into this next season of your life and enjoy every minute, every hour, and every day, and enjoy happiness and the fruits of the Spirit, and joy and peace and love and faith and long-suffering and patience and all that, if you're going to enjoy it, you've got to get this thing called expectancy right. And you can't enjoy life with a healthy expectancy unless you treasure up the right meanings. See, if I set myself up that the only way I feel loved is by certain rules, are people going to always live up to those rules? They're humans. Am I always going to live up to those rules? If I set certain parameters up that this is my value of happiness and I, I, I'll be happy if I'm never in debt, I'll be happy if, you know, I always win, I'll be happy if, if, if things work out my way and my favor. Well, if I start putting my happiness and my, the value of happiness that God gave me and I start putting these behaviors around it or these rules and these meanings that will ultimately not make it, there'll be times they fail, then I'm setting myself up for low expectation. I'm setting myself up for low energy emotionally. And if I'm setting myself up for low energy emotionally, I won't have the spiritual hunger to dig into my relationship with God. I won't have the spiritual hunger to love those who are not so lovely and be kind to those who are not so kind. But, but what if I say this? What if I say well, what is love? Well, what if I change the meaning of what love is to me? I say love is every time I'm kind to a person that I meet for the first time. Love is every time I just forgive someone, even if they do something small or large to me. I love every time I don't get my way, but I accept and love people anyway. What if I set the rules for love up differently, how I receive love? How am I loved? Every, time, every day I get up, my feet's on the ground, and I'm breathing, I'm healthy. Man, I, I, I'm loved by God, and I'm loved. Every time, you know, someone waves at me and smiles at me, I'm loved. Every time, you know, someone pats me on the back. I'm loved. It doesn't mean that every time someone gives me what they have or does this amazing thing. But if you set your meanings up to where you can achieve them, you will feel the emotion of love the way God wants you to feel that emotion of love. It's the same way in our walk with the Father. How do we set up our expectancy toward God? Because if we don't understand the way he values love, faith, and hope, then we won't experience it to the level that he designed for us to experience it. So let's look at this for a moment. When you build up your expectations so large for anything or anyone or any event, it's Okay, but you got to realize if you build up your expectation in such a, a big way, you set yourself up for disappointment 
in a big way. And I'm not saying don't have big dreams. I'm not saying have big, don't have big hopes and don't have a great future. No, no, no. What I'm saying is God has wired you for hope. God has wired you for faith. God has wired you for love. God has wired you for expectation. And he wants you to live that out to the fullest. But the way you're going to live that out to the fullest is when you get your values down and you get the rules or the behaviors right for those values. You see, the key is, can I align my rules with God's rules? A lot of times we look at rules and say, rules are bad, religion is rules, and you know, I'd serve God if it wasn't for all these rules. Well, you know, the rule of gravity is a good rule, right? So if we didn't have gravity, we wouldn't even be here, be floating around in the atmosphere. So you got to realize there are certain rules that are good rules. You don't have rules just to have rules or behaviors just to have behaviors. But the key is, what meanings do you give to things? If I look at failure, for you say, well, how can I never fail? Well, maybe like this, because this is what I had to do in my life, because I had this, this whole fear of failing. And, you know, it's, it helped me in a lot of ways to achieve and to succeed in areas of my life and to do things, but not being so happy while I achieve them. Anybody else ever feel that way? You wanted that job and then you got it. You wanted that promotion and you got it. You wanted to start that business and you did it. You wanted to enter that marriage covenant and you did. You wanted to have children and you did. And we go on and on and on. But we realize with a lot of joy, a lot of times there's pain. And a lot of times the pain is not because it's painful in the sense it's bad. Good things have pain. And it's the reason, the reason is the way we define it. So if I'm never going to fail, how am I never going to fail? I'm never going to fail that any time I face the illusion of failure, I will never fail if I give 100% or if I learn something from that event in my life. Man, if I live like that, I'm never going to fail. How would you like it if you got up every morning knowing I, there's not even a chance, Miss Gwen, for me to fail? There's not even an opportunity. You say, but what if you go broke and what if you go bankrupt? Well, I, then I learned something. I learned how not to do something. I don't do that again. And I learned a new way. And that means God still loves me and he's got a plan for my life. He just, maybe I'm on the wrong track. I need to get on the left track instead of the right track. So I end up in the destination he wants me to end up in. That's how you understand God's love. God didn't put you on this earth so you wouldn't have problems because God doesn't know what a problem is. It's not even in his vocabulary. Well, life be good if I didn't have all these problems. No, no, no. God doesn't see them as problems. He sees them as events for you to create solutions to grow. What if it's, you could never have another problem. You just have an opportunity to have a solution. What would you do if you had this problem when you were a baby, you were supposed to crawl and you didn't crawl. And later you're supposed to walk and you didn't walk. You know, it's painful learning to crawl, bumping your head. It's painful learning to walk, falling off and busting your mouth and stumbling around. But if you're a parent and your child is slow at walking, are you just going to stop giving it the opportunity to walk? Say, oh, it's okay. You know, we have great technology today. You know, you're three. You should have been walking at two. And, but, it, you know, you'll get through life okay. No, what what what's say? Keep trying it. What if it's painful and they keep skinning their knee and busting their chin? What are you going to do? Well, you know, we just want to protect you. And so you're now three and a half, almost four, and we're just going to find a caregiver. We're going to, we got it all worked out. You'll never have to worry about, about it. Walking's not that, it's overrated. 
But walking is not the easiest thing to learn to do. What about riding a bicycle? What if you didn't take those bangs and those nicks and learn how to ride a bicycle? See, 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 we look at things as problems. God looks at them as answers. We look at things as obstacles, and God looks at them as solutions. Because you were put on this earth to bring solutions to problems. God made you his answer. So if I'm stressed out because I got problems, then stress is another good Christian word and professional word we use for fear. And fear, F-E-A-R, is false evidence appearing real. Well, I fear death. Okay, if you're a Christian, why would you fear death? Well, because of the unknown, or I'll be away from people I love, or I don't know what happened to these people if I die, what happened to my family. So, so you're going to, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, which is your ultimate goal, to be in ultimate joy and happiness and peace in the city of God, not floating on a cloud somewhere, in the city of God, functioning, operating in a row in the kingdom of God forever. And, 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 and even if you're away from your family 20 years, it's not even a tenth of a day. It's not even part of a day. It's not even a second and, and, and you're fearing that. So if I look at my life and say I, I'm afraid to die, how can I ever be truly happy? How can I ever be truly courageous? You're never going to overcome your fear unless you take a step to overcome it. There's never been a hero that wasn't frightened. So, so as we look at this and we begin to, I want you to get in your heart, in your mind, that you can make 2019 the happiest year. This can be the best Christmas. It won't be the perfect Christmas, but it can be your best Christmas. Has there ever been times in your life when you've felt you've reached perfection in an event or some area for a season and you're just walking in perfection? Were you really happy while you were doing it? Because if you're so perfect, you've got to be concerned about the one thing you might miss or say or do. Or... So can you truly be free in perfection? You can't be free in perfection because there's no such thing as perfection. Right. God only uses people under construction. If you weren't under construction, you'd be like Enoch. You were and now you were not. <laughs> Let me go on. So let's look at Mary's life. Let's read Luke 2 again, and and we'll, we'll go from there. Now, the greatest gift that God has given you and I is the gift of choice. The gift of choice. Look to your neighbor say, the gift of choice. The gift of choice gives you the opportunity to choose the meaning you have for your values. You set up the rules for your values. You say, no, that's in the scripture. Well, you know, yeah, it's in the scripture, but dude, you know, if you can say with your head what your values are and the rules for them, but what you feel and what's in your heart is real. So until you come in alignment and set the rules and behaviors up for yourself, you'll never walk fully in your values and you'll never walk in your values the way God planned for you to walk in them and you'll never live in the fullness of expectation. So the greatest choice, the greatest gift God ever gave you was a choice. You're the sum total today of every decision you've ever made. So what is Christmas? Christmas is a reminder that faith 
is the key to your expectations. Faith is the key to your expectations being fulfilled. Mary shows us this through the very first Christmas. Look at me in Luke 2, I'll begin in verse 8. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. Now, now think about this. Shepherds were not wealthy people in the field. Shepherds could be the youngest son. Shepherds were people maybe that didn't get through the education, educational chain or they weren't born in families. If they were born in families that were very wealthy, someone else was taking care of the sheep, not them. So when we look at shepherds, when the angels of the Lord appeared to these shepherds, they weren't these super wealthy people. They were ordinary people or maybe even people that lived a very hard life, tough life, and, and, and financially challenging life, maybe physically challenging life. They had to deal with the elements of weather. They were alone a lot and so on. So, so for these angels to show up out of nowhere and to appear to them showed how God looks for you even in your darkest times. God is looking out for you even when it seems like you're the loneliest. God is looking out for you even when it seems like you're insignificant. God is looking out for you when it even seems like you're the low one on the totem pole. God is looking out for you and your relationships when you feel like I'm alone and I don't even have opportunity for a relationship. There's no one around me to have a relationship with. You just need to think of the shepherds because if God needs to, he can send an angel into your life. He can move in multiple ways, but it's going to take your faith to open it up. And if you have no hope, no expectancy, and you live timid, in fear, angry, frustrated, and stressed, how are you going to walk out a blessing? life how are you going to have Christmas every day but see no one determines that but you does anyone in here know anyone that you look at they got this amazing life just wave at me you know this person and it's like man they have this amazing life whether it's money relationships or just three of you you know man God bless three you know me I have an amazing life so wave everybody just raise your hand this way just make the preacher feel good right See, I shouldn't put my expectation on you, right? See, I, I got to change that in my, let me get that change that by behavior. I want to, my joy can't be based on whether you raise your hand or not. Uh, see, see, see how easy it is? Because, but, but, but then you, you see them, but they're stressed a lot. And there's times they don't seem like they're thankful for what they have. And you go, man, if I had 30% of what they have, I'd be the happiest dude in the city. Does anybody know anyone like that? So if a lot of people's looking at you, it might be you. But anyway, so, so we don't understand. We compare ourselves to other people and say, if I just had 30% of what they had, I'd be the happiest person in the city of Lexington. And it's not true because there would be always something else you need. You see, until you set the rules up to where you win, that you're like Paul, right? I, I'm fine in whatever state I'm in. I'm content in whatever, whether I'm rich or poor, up or down, sick or healthy. What, what did he tap into? He tapped into something that's so critical that, that he got his values in alignment with God's values and his behaviors in alignment with his, with God's. That's why he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And we see that you have these suddenly moments. Like, for instance, we had a suddenly moment. We've been working over 13 years whenever God 
opened this beautiful property up, 19 acres, 100,000 acre. And at that time, there wasn't a Brandon Crossing or anything. People were like, why are you going out there to build a church and all that? And in the middle of the night, one night, God woke me up. We'd already were getting ready to start construction. They were getting ready to come out and dig the footers. And the church was going to be about almost 200 feet toward the front. And the Holy Spirit said, stop everything. And said, move the church back 200 feet to the back of the property. Well, that didn't make sense. Number one, the engineers, everything was done. They were ready to come and start digging ditches to, to build the foundations. And it didn't make sense in the natural. And then not only that, it's more expensive to move it back. Not only do you have to do the redesign and all that, but think about this, it holds things up. But, but not only that, you gotta build an extra length of your driveway, 200 more feet. Your infrastructure all has to come 200 more feet, all of your you know, electric and all that. And, and the Holy Spirit said, you need to do it. And I said, well, why? He said, you said, didn't you say that you're going to be a church, a city on the hill for this spot you touch the world? I said, yes. He said, didn't you say that you're the first generation church, but you're going to leave a debt-free ministry for the second generation that can bring in souls that are not yet born and operate freely and fully for God? I said, yes. He said, then move the building back 200 feet. So little dumb Dalton just moved the building back 200 feet. And it wasn't a fun meeting with all the engineers and the builders, and they didn't like it. They thought, this crazy. That's why we don't like working with preachers. <laughs> yeah. And God said, I want you to get that rezoned out there. So it took 10 years to get it even rezoned. But we got it rezoned a few years ago. Then you thought, well, I saw this is going to happen any day. We got that rezoned. It's going to be a way to get the church debt free. And then this stuff sells around us. And, all. and I'm like, well, Lord, you know, what, what's up with this? You know, this, this is awesome. But man, I'm like, Lord, we, 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 church needs to be debt free. We're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars a year on the interest. We, we could be using that to win souls and to do things for the kingdom. And, and all of a sudden, everybody say suddenly. Hey. See, God doesn't move quickly. He moves suddenly, Right? And then I, 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 I was told to talk to this one developer and people had talked to him before and he wasn't interested. He was one of the top three developers in the state. And over negotiations, over about two, two and a half months going back and forth, we just signed an agreement with a developer for the front eight acres out there that, yeah, it's going to be amazing for the church. Uh, the church will be in partnership with this development and uh, we'll get, we don't get it in our pockets because that's not what God said to do. He said, pay the building off. So we set it up with the bank. So we're going to get $2.2 million up front. <laughs> which doesn't, look, look at everybody say, it doesn't go to the bank account. Just say it to them. Dude. Right? It goes to the debt. Because we got a $10 million property, facility, and all that, and we owe $5.8 million. That will get us down to $3.8 million. <laughs> and we'll still have about an $8 million asset setting here as a church family. Look, look, look. It doesn't mean we can buy a new carpet. That doesn't mean you can quit giving. We still pay the same payment. Well, just refinance. Well, I'd rather not. I'd rather pay more on principal because my goal is in the next two years to have this thing debt-free. That's my goal. I don't know about yours. So we will have about 100 or so thousand to do some work around here out of that. Two million will go straight to the debt. 
Uh, but that doesn't happen until spring. I mean, they got a final development plans. We won't close sometime till February to April in that range. We already March to April. Um, but it's cool, right? It shows God still knows who we are, right? And he's setting us up for our children and our children's children. And we're going to get to enjoy some of it too. Now, now, not only that, we own 40%. The church owns 40% of anything that happens out there. So if a land, we're looking for land leases, we, we might be signing an LOI on a gas station convenience store with a, with a restaurant in it and everything out on the corner, which will be significant income that will, will not income that we receive, it'll be income that goes toward that debt. Think about it. Each one of those events that happens, the church gets 40%. Who gets $2.2 million for land that you gave 100,000 an acre for? Who, who, who gets $2.2 million for land you gave 100,000 an acre for? That's, that's two times. Over, yeah, over two times what we gave for that eight acres. And it's not finished yet. Look at your neighbor say, it's not over yet. We could have two to four more million come in for the church. And not only that, think of the interest it saves us. I mean, we probably pay $300,000 a year in interest. Now, instead of that extra $75,000 going to interest, it's going to go down toward the principal. Over 20 years, it'd save us another $2 million. Everybody say, but God. But God. See, see. There was times over the last 12 years, Mark, I was ready to quit. Mark's like, you can't, preacher, we need you. There's times I'm like, I'm done. Oh, Lord, what are you doing to me? I can just go to Florida and do something there. It's warm, park boats. I can do something. You know, that's always my plan. I'll just go park boats. I don't care. I just want to be on the water where the sun is. I'll just park people's boats. I'll clean them. I don't care. Like Peter, you know, I'll go back to cleaning fish, Lord. That's just, you know. But see, when it, have you ever noticed when it takes longer for something great to happen, you appreciate it more? And Pastor Stephanie and I are not who we were 12 years ago. We can better handle what God's doing now than we could 12 years ago. So who was right, Dalton or God? So I want to ask you. See, see, you can look at that and go, well, it's about time, God. My God, 12 years later, I mean, you know, you could have done two years would have been so 12 years later, Lord. Or you could be thankful and realize that it's a learning experience and it's an opportunity and an opportunity to see things come to pass. So anyway, so you got an announcement why other people are out on vacation. God bless them. They'll hear about it. They can watch it online. Uh, so, so these angels showed up see, see, to the shepherds in the field, and they were terrified. There's sometimes God tells you things, and you get terrified. There's sometimes, you know, in your family, events happen, and you're terrified. There's things that go on in your life, in your career, and you're terrified. Things that go on in relationships, and you're terrified. But see, it said, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And he said, I bring you good news. This will bring great joy to all people. And the Savior, yes, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, 
in the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in stripes, strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Now, Jesus born in a manger, born and placed in a manger. That was the beginning of our promise. Just think, God hadn't spoken for about 400 years, and now the promise has been born, and the promise is in the manger. God shows up to the most insignificant people, the outcasts, the people by themselves, the people, the loneliest, the people who were probably on the lower totem pole of poverty, and all these things, and he shows up his glory, his presence in the light of angels, and it said even the army of God came down right there to salute them, and they get to go in. Enjoy this great occasion that they have been heard preached about for their entire life, taught, trained in the temple, in their family, passed on. And for 400 years, God hadn't spoken. Now they're right in the middle of this amazing event. It's transformational for them. And now it is also transformational for all of us. This is when the promise began. But see, if we operate, we can have the promise of God in our life But if we operate by rules of failure, we won't even know we're successful. You see, success is a science. You can learn certain strategies, put certain work ethics in, get with the right people, the right thing. Most people that are million and billionaires have bankrupt three, four, five times or more, which we're afraid to do any of that, but they find a way to get back and they become wealthy financially. Now, success is a science. So if you study it, you can find a way, no matter where you come from, what you're about, and be successful in the eyes of the world as far as finances. But here's the thing. Fulfillment is an art. Something that fulfills me may not fulfill Pastor Steph. Something that fulfills me may not fulfill you. You have to learn what fills your tank. You have to learn. Some people... Rest and peace and filling your tank is getting off and reading a book somewhere in a quiet place. Some other, what else? It's to go exercise or to go play a sport or to go do something. What is it? Or to achieve something. So, so we got to realize that we have to live this life with expectancy and hope and trust God and allow the Holy Spirit to lead us in success and into fulfillment. But you got to realize it comes from decisions you make. The deci- you are today the sum total of every decision you've ever made throughout your lifetime. I am as well. And Jesus being born in a manger was what? The beginning of our promise. But what are your rules for success? And what are your rules for fulfillment? See, that's the key. And if you don't get that, you'll, you'll, you'll never be happy. I deal with people all the time, young people, older people. You know, if I just get this job at this certain company. Okay, and they get that job. Oh, yeah. And I say, well, don't go in debt. You know, you got great income. You, now you start building up. You can get your savings. You get, okay, pastor. Then six months later, oh, we bought two new cars. And six months later, we bought a new house. And oh, now we got to work all this overtime. We can't be in church on Sunday because we're working all this. So you know what that means? That's not a problem, but that's a lesson somebody's got to learn. And they'll have to figure out the solution for it. Because I don't think working seven days, six, seven days a week, 12 hours a day is that fun. I don't know about you. And I haven't seen a car or a house worth it. No. no, it was worth it at one time in my life, and I did it. But then I realized, wait a minute, there's got to be balance. But see, that's my rules. I had to change my rules. As we get older, we change our rules, right? You don't jump as high, run as fast. There's just things you can't do, right? So you better change your rules or you'll get hurt. 
So you need to decide what your map is, what excites you, what fires you up, what brings anticipation. Is this helping anybody or am I just talking to myself? I did the more traditional Christmas message last week, so amen. So, so we got to determine the rules for success, fulfillment, and for hope, right? So as we see this, while all this was going on with the shepherds, something beautiful was happening with Mary. Look at verses 13 and 14. It said, and suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory be to God in the highest, the heavenly realm, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And then it goes on down to say, Oh, let me get to where this one is. I love this one, Mary, where she treasured it up. I already missed that scripture. She treasured it up in her heart. She treasured it up in her heart. Where is it? Verse 19, let's read that. Verse 19, verse 17, it says, After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened at the angel, said to them, About this child, all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary, everybody say, but Mary, kept what? All these things in her heart, and thought about them often. Shepherds went back to their lives, their flocks. They got this great story, this cool blessing, glorifying, praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. In another, in the NIV version, in verse 19, it said, but Mary did what? She treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Now, you got to realize where Mary came from, right? Where'd Mary come from? Mary was engaged, and then the angel Lord visited her, and she accepted the promise of God to be impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Now she's a young lady that's pregnant with God's child, but God had to visit Joseph to show him in a dream that it was him. She had to leave her home, leave her family. She's got this promise inside her. Would you have any expectancy? You know, you'd have some expectancy when it said this promise is the Son of God, right? Right. <laughs> And she can't tell people, she treasures it up in her heart and she ponders it and she thinks about it. Now it's happened and this baby is lying in the manger and she's sitting there going, wow. And these shepherds, they get to experience all this glory from her pain and from her price that she paid to birth the promise. And they get the glory. Not only did the angels of the Lord show up in their darkest moment, it says the armies of God showed up. She's got a dirty, stinky, cold barn giving natural childbirth, of course, with a supernatural child wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger. God saying, there's your little promise. You mean... I went through all that to get this. I mean, couldn't he like be born and then like in eight minutes, he's a man or. And not only that, she had to raise and care for the promise for 30 years. See, if you don't learn what to treasure up, how can you fulfill the promise? 
So many times we have events and situations happen in our life and we don't realize that it's not a problem, it's not a horrible incident. It, it can be a horrible incident in people's eyes, but it can also drive you in a way you never would have went before. It could drive you into a path, into relationships, into opportunities that it never would have driven you before. It could, it's going to get you to your destiny if you'll trust God. But you know what? You can get there disgruntled or you can miss it or you can get there happy and full of joy. It's your choice. See, you choose whether you're going to be happy or not. You give the meaning to what makes you happy and fulfilled. So she treasured this up in her heart. Now, Mary responded differently to this difficulty than everyone else. What'd she do? What was Mary's secret? Whenever that baby was born, she decided to change her expectation. This is not going to happen in a year. It's not going to happen in five years. It's going to take some time. She decided to change that. She began to protect what she pondered over. She began to protect and treasure up the promise of God, even though there was expectation. I'm sure other times there wasn't, like when Jesus was missing and they had to go back and hunt him, at, found him at the temple when he was 12. I'm sure there was times just like any other mother, she had situations and problems with that. But see, when we, when she decided to expect the impossible, what happened? Now faith, not any faith, but now faith. See, now faith took place. And if we have great expectancy, I want to ask you this question. If we have great expectancy and great expectancy uh, that every breakthrough must occur before we have faith, is that faith? If my expectancy is set on a level that if I see this event happen and that situation work out and this work out, is that faith? Faith is seeing what's not seen. Faith is hearing what's not hearing. Faith is declaring and having expectancy for what has not happened yet. That's what true faith is. So God's, how he values faith, we have faith when we have certainty and it's working out, it looks like it's going to happen. And that, no, no, that's not faith. God's rules for faith are different than our rules for faith. God's rule for adventure is different than our rules for adventure. Now, how do we get the proper expectancy? So to get the proper expectancy, what you got to do, you got to change your meaning to what you treasure. What if you just treasured a sunny day? What if you just treasured, well, I wanted this new vehicle, but what if you just treasured that you don't have to ride the bus anymore and you got a car or truck? What if you just treasured, you know, you wanted this other career, but you, you eat and you have employment and you got a roof over your head? You see, what's that scripture? If you don't treasure the little things, don't expect the big things. If you can't be happy with the little things, why would God give you more things? Because obviously things, you're not able to manage things well. I want to ask you one question, then we're going to pray. Was the premature death, premature death of an innocent 33-year-old man named Jesus considered a failure? I mean, if we looked at this promise that was born and he's in a manger and angel shows up and all this, he turns water into wine, he raises 
Lazarus from the dead and Jairus' daughter from the dead. He delivers the demoniac at Gadara. I mean, you know, blind Bartimaeus' eyes are open. The leper's healed. I mean, pretty cool dude, right? Pretty exciting ministry for three and a half years. And, you know, he comes in on Palm Sunday and they're waving the palms in those cities shouting his name. But on Friday, they, they, they kill him. See, what if Jesus' expectancy was based on the response of the crowd? See, if your promise is taking some time, you're the only one that can decide if you're discouraged or not. You're the only one that can choose if you're going to be sad or not. It's your decision. You give the meaning to it. Jesus, here Mary sees him for 30 years. He enters his ministry. Three years, three and a half years, amazing. And then one tough week. Woo. Week where you're falsely accused, your reputation's gone, you're beaten, you're abused, you're murdered, hung on a cross, naked, and dead. Man, I mean, it was like this beautiful life, and then all of a sudden, it's over. You see, it's easy for us to say it's a good story because we knew that Sunday came. We knew on the third day he rose from the dead. You see, it's easy to have expectation, hope, and faith after the third day. But what about the first day? It's easy, you know, when you're 70 years old and you look at your honey and say, woo, baby, we were married for 50 years. And the other, the wife might say, oh, God, I, I believe it. I know it every day, every hour, every minute, yes. But we made it 50 years and we're both happy and they're celebrating and the kids are celebrating. But there was probably some weeks there that it didn't look like it was going to make it a year. But it did. You see, what if you decided on the first day it's fulfilled? What if you decided on the first day it's amazing? What if you decided even in the darkest time that, that you win? What if you decided on the first day and even stayed focused on the second day when you were betrayed and stabbed in the back and made fun of? What if you just stayed focused and say the third day is coming? It's going to make it even better. It's going to make it even cooler. It's going to be even more awesome. But you're so depressed, the third day comes and, oh, it happened? Oh, 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 yeah, that did happen. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, if I didn't have to go through all that hell to get here, I've gained 30 pounds, my hair's gone, and I ran everybody off that mean anything in my life because nobody wants to be around me. I'm miserable. But it's cool that happened. Or are you going to enjoy every moment? Are you going to determine what success is? Are you going to determine what fulfillment is? Are you given the right meaning to where you're at? I could go back to different seasons in my life. You know, being, giving my life to Christ when I was 21, believing for a wife, dated a few different people, thought, man, that was it. It wasn't. Then didn't date for probably five years, four years. And then... God brings Stephanie into my life. And I used to think, well, Lord, are you just getting somebody ready? And I found out he's getting me ready. It just took 10 extra years to get me ready. And I'm still working on it. She's still working on me. 
But see, I can say, I'm not getting married. I'm 31. I wanted to be married in my early 20s and have kids then and that. But it's just worked out great, even better. I've got to even enjoy it better. I'm probably a better father because I have more time to get ready. But see, I could look at it. I missed those years. I could have done. But wait a minute. See, if you celebrate every moment, you can't be depressed. You're the one that gives the meaning to it. Well, if, if I had had that accident, if somebody had done this or that, and I wouldn't have had that accident, well, maybe that accident needed to happen because there's something deep inside you that would never be birthed if you didn't have an accident. Doesn't mean that God won't see you in pain and have an accident, but he can take any accident and turn it into a victory if we'll trust him. So what is it that you're depressed over or fear, or maybe not even depressed. What is it you're anxious over? What is it that hasn't come to pass for you yet and you feel like you haven't been valued? Maybe you're like that lady and you thought you was getting a car, it's gonna go 200 miles an hour and you got a scale to check your weight. But she didn't need it to check it. She knew what that was. Where are you at right now? What, how are you gonna look at Christmas. Is it that little baby in a manger? Or is it that promise that gives eternal life? Not is it a promise that gives eternal life, but gives eternal hope, joy, and peace and love. Where are you at right now? Are you happy? Well, if you really think about it and you're sad, it's probably because something didn't go your way. Yeah, but you don't know what it costs to be me. You're right, I don't know what it costs to be you. Only you and God knows, but you don't know what it costs to be me. So we can dishonor one another by not knowing what it costs to be each other and celebrate one another. See, I, I, I've come to a place in my life, I'm 56, I don't have anything to prove to anybody. And I got 30 more great years of ministry. God said, I got 29 great more years of ministry is what God told me last year. If I just do certain things and I'm doing those things and I'll have it. I won't die after 30 years. 85, I've still got stuff to do. But, but I want to ask you, whose promise are you living on? Whose time are you living on? If you're not full of joy right now, why? Well, I've been trying to make this marriage work to, to get these kids raised and get these kids. And then I see people do that and they still don't get divorced. They're so miserable now. Don't spend half my life with them. I might as well spend it the rest of time with her. <laughs> Or they get divorced, they marry somebody else, they're just as miserable with that person because they got to finally realize it's probably not the other person. You might be the problem. So, so, so what is it right now that's keeping you from walking in the promise? And you can get to heaven, you know, believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord, and Give you, accept him into your heart and get to heaven. But boy, you could be a miserable little cantankerous thing all the way up to heaven. And St. Peter's got to think twice, but he has to let you in. He might put you over in another section somewhere. You might be the shepherd in heaven. Who knows? Oh, I want to be out by the brook. Of the, yeah, you'll be out by the brook, brother. With the other miserable brook brothers over there. So where are you today? Have you decided what kind of Christmas you're going to have or are you just letting events happen? 
See, if you get up every morning and decide this is going to be a great Christmas, this is going to be a blessed Christmas, this is going to be an amazing Christmas, I'm going to have an amazing time with my family. I don't even care if they talk about politics. I'm going to love them anyway. I don't care if they talk about church. I'm going to love them anyway. Every time they do something that drives me crazy, I'm receiving love. You know why? Because I'm giving love. Because I'm not in jail. I didn't hit them, kill them, abuse them, cuss them out. What, 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 what have you looked at that? You're looking at the table and you're like, oh, every time I see my mother-in-law or father-in-law, oh, Lord. And instead, you're just like, every time you're seeing their mouth, you're going, I'm so blessed because I'm loving them anyway. And then looking at, you're looking at your son-in-law or daughter-in-law going, oh, that little, uh, uh, and then so now you're going, you're going, look at them. Man, they're blessed. They're, they're the mother or father of my grandchildren. I love them. I love, even though they're naive right now, I love them anyway. I love them in their naivety. I just love them. I'm just going to give them love. I'm going to hug them. I'm going to smile at them. Even when I think what they're saying is so stupid, I'm going to just smile at them and love them. I'm going to hug them. And you know what? Then they're going to get in a better mood. They're going to think you actually like them. So now that you love them, you can start liking them and they can like you and love you. And you could have a happy Christmas. And you might even have a happy new year. And decade. You're waiting for them to change. You've already got your plans of how you, you, parents load up for kids when they're coming home for Christmas because I got, we'll have a great time. But there's these two things, honey, you got to discuss these two things with him. You got to get him off out there, get her off, my honey, you got to get her off. How about if you just decided it's going to be an amazing Christmas? Love conquers all kinds of problems and fear. Just love, love. And when, when you feel, well, they just embarrassed me. Embarrassment's a choice. Maybe they just made you the center of attention. Embarrassment's a choice. Fear is a choice. Faith is a choice. Hope is a choice. Depression is a choice. Security is a choice. Happiness is a choice. And no one can make it. You can have people try all the time to make you happy, and nobody has the power to make you happy. Because if they have the power to make you happy somewhere along the way, they'll not do something you wanted and you'll be sad. And then you'll just be angry at them. So every head bowed and every eye closed. That's why I ask you, man, what's it going to take for you to be happy? Ma'am, sir, what's it going to take for you to really be happy? You know, last week we had eight people come to Christ. That made me happy. But if no one came to Christ, I chose to be happy before the altar call. But I want to ask you today, What's it take for you to be happy? Well, you know, I got this hip problem or I got this arthritis in my hands or my knees. Well, you know, at least you got hands and a knee and you got lungs and you're breathing. You might want to be thankful for that. You see, the more I can be thankful for, the more I can focus on the promise, the more emotional stability and energy I'm going to get and the more hunger for the spirit of God and the things of God I'll have. So I want you right now in this quiet moment to to what is it that maybe you fear the most or you worry about the most or what is it you dread the most or what could happen? And I want you right now to say by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm gonna pray in a moment, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I want you to change that thought and give it to God and look at it the way God would look at it. Why don't you take God's rules and put them under your values And practice it. And trust it. Just do that right now. 
I dread that drive. Well, be thankful you got somewhere to go. Number two, be thankful you got something to drive. Number three, be thankful somebody wants you to get there instead of dreading something. I dread this. I hate that. Do you really hate it? I've lost this. I've lost... See, the only way you can be depressed or angry or sad is if you focus on what's missing or what appears to be missing or what has appeared to be lost. But if you say whatever looks like it's been missing or lost, God's going to turn it in my favor and bring me into even something greater, then you won't be in fear or depressed. 